1: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio.
0: Happy Friday, everybody. I'm Tracy B. Wilson. And I'm Holly Fry. This week on the show, we talked about John Cleve Sims, um, who had some kind of offbeat ideas about the structure of the world. And as I was researching this, I kept thinking, if this guy were alive today, he would have a YouTube channel. It would not be a good YouTube channel.
1: But he would have a kajillion very vehement followers.
0: Yes. <laughs> y- y- yes. Absolutely. Yeah, we did not get into the fact that, like, there, uh, there there's still this sort of, like, hollow-earth pseudoscience slash conspiracy theory that has, like, some devoted followers today uh and you know based on all scientific understanding that is
1: not how it works i i want to say a thing but it's really unkind so i'm not going to say it um (laughs) i will also say that i uh refrained from bringing star wars into the discussion (laughs) oh yeah uh for a reason that probably is silly and not at all what you would expect which is when you got to the part in the outline as I was reading it, and we were talking about all of these verges where things oh, transition. Yeah, yeah. It made me think of Qui-Gon talking about discovering a vergence in the Force, uh, which is not quite the same at all, but it sounded enough the same that my brain couldn't stop doing it. I also like that he was like the king of confirmation bias everywhere.
0: Yeah, he absolutely was. Um, And the, like... There were multiple people who encountered him and were like, this guy, he has read so much and he knows so much. And man, he manages to warp all of it to be about <laughs> about, about this whole Hollow Earth situation. Yeah. Uh, no matter how disconnected it is from that, he was just so it's it's funny to me that uh that both he and Edmund Halley seemed really devoted to this idea in their own way. Right. Uh but again, Hallie's was based on math. Wrong math, but like actual math.
1: <laughs> yeah. Less like, I have a thought. <laughs> or like yeah. I had a thought and then I did some research and here's where I think that thought sits. Yeah. The one thing that that, like I said in the the episode, like there's part of me that's like, is he an epic Flim Flam man? Uh, he, unlike some other fakers, pseudoscience people. I'm suddenly thinking about William Mumler and his spirit photos. Mm-hmm. He really did seem to be earnest. Yeah, yeah. Which buys him a lot of points. And I really enjoyed the idea that um, his family was very devoted to him and they supported him through all of this. Yeah, That made me think of another one we recorded recently that is not out as of when we were having this discussion about Coxey's army,
0: because mm-hmm. there
1: were people in Coxey's family who were like, "Oh, he's crazy," um, <laughs> yeah. And this was not the same. He seemed to get pretty, fairly universal support from his his immediate family. Yeah,
0: I mean, as far as we know, the the two he had two sons that took the time to like write all of this stuff down and continue to to promote it decades after uh, his death. The uh, the son that published the three part thing in a in a newspaper. Um, definitely, like, he reprinted a lot of, um, a lot of newspaper articles that were really critical of his father, but he didn't seem to be like, and that's why my father was wrong. Like, he really more seemed to be like, this was what my father was up against in his whole yeah ideas. One thing that we also didn't get into, uh, was that according, I think it was in one of the son's, um, accounts of his father's life. He and his wife were apparently very devoted to her, and she did either did not speak uh, any English or did not speak much English when they first met. She was French, um, and he learned French to be able to talk with her better. Like they seem to oh, have had a really uh, loving so and affectionate sweet. relationship. Um, so yeah, he <laughs> is. He had such weird ideas, but at the same time, he seems to have been so completely dedicated to them. In a way where like he was not making money off of it, like some of the other flim flam people, if he was really just a flim flam person, we've talked about some flim flam people who who got either money or notoriety um and he only he really only got the second one. <laughs> he, did, <laughs> he did not make any money off of this,
1: yeah, if he was an epic flim flam man, he was bad at that part, yeah uh, <laughs> uh there is a charm about him. Which is tricky. I feel like when when you look at somebody like this, and thankfully, you know the outcome is fairly benign. You do see how people can get fished into pseudoscience stuff.
0: Yeah. Um.
1: And the, and really want to believe it.
0: According to the son who had written that series of newspaper articles, he had so many adherents at Harvard. That Harvard had to have these sort of like anti pseudoscience workshops, but I didn't put that into the uh, to the episode because I I could not find confirmation of that anywhere else besides like in this one son's writing. And I was like, you seem to be really dedicated to your dad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> were uh, were you the best uh, most reliable source on this?
1: <laughs> my uh, my Pollyanna overly positive. Uh, way that I'm leaving this subject is to think like may we all be so imaginative and have such devoted families
0: that seems great (laughs) this week we talked about canning something as we mentioned you and I have each been talking about doing for a long time
1: yeah the the episode not doing any canning of my own (laughs) right no me neither (laughs) uh you grew up in a canning household right absolutely yes and you
0: mentioned your grandmother yeah uh, putting uh, putting her canning jars into things so that if they broke yeah so you also canning in your upbringing
1: yeah uh yeah she would make little like um fabric sacks out of like leftover quilting material and stuff because Mm -hmm. she was always fretful that a can would break and or a, yeah. um, a jar would break. She usually did the mason jar method. And my mom did some canning, although over the years, I think, as with many families, that phased out.
0: Yeah. We we grew essentially all our own vegetables. Um, like, I, if we ever bought a vegetable in a store, something specific was happening. Um, and it was like when my parents bought their house before i was born they specifically bought a house that would have enough room for them to have a garden um and uh and that garden number one the garden was possible because uh, my brother and i were labor for it in in the summer right like my parents both did a huge amount of work. My dad was the person who was doing the plowing and the like, the staking out the lines and a lot of the planting. And my brother and I were helping with, my mom was doing all of this, like helping harvest and can and freeze and all of that stuff. But my brother and I were doing a lot of picking things, a lot of snapping the beans and shelling the peas and stuff like that. And then the whole summer, there was this ongoing process of canning things and freezing things for the most part. Like most of the stuff that we grew was either... Uh, canned or frozen, except for things like potatoes and onions that were kept in the cool dark of our basement. (laughs) Um, It was a lot, for sure.
1: Yeah, that's a lot of work to provide fruits and veggies for a family of four for a year. Yeah. Is no small task.
0: No. And so, like, I have vivid memories of, we were doing this in a stovetop pressure canner, um and my mom's like clear admonition not to touch that as long as the little indicator that sh- that showed that there was still pressure was still sticking up right cuz if you tried to open when that was uh when that was sticking up like it might blow up in your face um and then i also remember her having this just almost visceral disagreement with her mother-in-law my dad's mother also, uh, like they also had a whole lot of garden space, and they also were like pretty much growing all of their own uh, vegetables. And um, they had a difference of opinion about whether they needed to fully cook things before canning them, which was my mom's opinion, or whether it was okay to just blanch them, which was my grandmother's opinion. My mom was always like, anytime we got canned food from my grandmother, my mom would like boil it for extra time before serving it because she just did not trust that blanching was sufficient. And I don't know what the FDA's actual rule because in the US, here in the US, like a lot of the standards that you read about how to can things safely, like a lot of that comes from the USDA. So anyway, like this is one of those topics that (laughs) near, near and dear to my heart from my childhood. But also, I did not have the fondest memories of parts of the canning process.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it always just, mostly for me, seemed like it super stressed my mom out, and she was kind of an anxiety monkey anyway, so I was always Mm. like, oh, canning is happening. I'm out. Like, I'll I'll take my tiny child briefcase, and I'll be like, I'll see you at 9 p.m. Like, I'm going. I don't want to be any (laughs) Yeah. Um... Yeah, so I wasn't involved in much of that, thankfully, uh, because she was always afraid everything would explode. And my dad would be like, then why are you doing this? You don't have to. And she would be insistent that somehow it was magical or created something we would not have otherwise. Mm -hmm. My mother was a complicated woman. Uh, But but I, I... It's interesting because I am one of those people who definitely does not love canned food. And I don't know how much of it is just tied up with that I associate it with that. Um, Although I do love a canned peach or a canned pear. Like, there's no tomorrow.
0: Yeah. The home canned green beans specifically were like such a staple at our house that fresh green beans, when green beans were actually in season and we had just picked them, I was like, this is gross. This is not how green beans are supposed to taste. And then I was well into adulthood by the time store-bought canned green beans tasted normal to me. Um, Because, like, there was just a flavor difference. Some of that also being how Southern people cook green (laughs) beans.
1: Right. That's another thing that's a factor in it, right? Like, different regional cooking styles treat vegetables and fruits differently anyway. So for some, canning is a more perfect option than others. That's a whole other layer of, like, whether people think they like canned foods or not.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This is also, this episode is also a case where there could have been an episode that was just the effects of canning on the world. Yeah. Because it's one of those things like it's uh I would I would say a lot of people in the world just take it for granted that you can open up a can that has tomatoes in it in any season of the year and having tomatoes anywhere in any season like that was not a thing before. <laughs> right. You could have tomatoes if they grew near you when they were in season and that's it. Um, we have been <laughs> during this during this time of, of pandemic, uh, like our household has really shifted our um our food habits a lot, and now, like almost all of our produce is coming from our local farmers' market. yeah, and that is uh like realizing just how short the strawberry season is in Massachusetts. Wow, yeah, did not realize that until this year of my life.
1: All of this canning talk uh, has given me a a flashback to a brief period of time where I was working in the summers during college for the Georgia Shakespeare Festival. Mm -hmm. And I was working in the costuming department. And it was one of those cases where if you have ever been to the Georgia Shakespeare Festival, which is now defunct, The costuming, like, they they didn't have a regular facility for a long, long time. So the costume shop kind of had to find a place in town where we could set ourselves up Mm -hmm. every summer. And one summer, we were some member of the Shakespeare Festival support community wrangled us the basement of a country club, an old country club that was not in use to use, and when we went in to set up, we discovered that the gross basement where we were was filled with exploded canned goods. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> that had been left there probably in 1968 when they shut their doors and had not been touched again. Oh, dear. The most hilarious was, like, some of the cans, and this these were tin cans, were rusted and had not yet exploded, but, like, it you knew everything was on a hair trigger. So, like, (laughs) there were these giant gallon-sized cans of whipped cream and some of them had gone and some of them had not. So you'd have to kind of, like, get a plastic bag and tackle it before it went off and, like, hope it went off in the bag and didn't. Those were wild times. (laughs) Wow. Wow. (laughs) And I haven't thought about it in years until all of this talk of exploding food.
0: Yeah, this uh this reminds me of a time in the relatively recent past where we had um some from a small brewery that was using a new canning line and like a new canning process, and then we stored that beer in our very hot Somerville, Massachusetts kitchen, and it all exploded. Oh no. <laughs> it was very sad. That is
1: very sad.
0: Enormously alarming I if you've ever <laughs> been in the room when some beer cans started exploding. Anyway, now everyone knows more about our personal experience with canning That's and explosive. exploded <laughs> canned goods. <laughs> um, yeah, if you want to write to us about your own personal story of exploded canned goods, we're at History podcast at iHeartRadio.com. Everybody, you know, whatever's going on in your life, I hope everybody's as safe and well as possible. See you next week. Audibly in your ears. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit LambdaLegal.org. That's LambdaLegal.org.
1: I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for The Everyday Guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual.